with a potential new Iranian nuclear deal on the horizon. The lifting of US sanctions on Tehran could bring up to 1.5 million barrels per day of oil back to markets. It's also a sensitive time politically, with presidential elections in Iran this month. A new administration from August would be keen to bring foreign investment into the hydrocarbons industry. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast, coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. Before we begin, please do subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your audio content. Now, the question of the lifting of US sanctions on Iran, allowing it to export more oil, uh, has been one that's been discussed with increasing frequency lately. Um, The US has been arguing that only a new nuclear deal could limit Iran's ability to acquire nuclear weapons. They're talking from a security point of view. But also regionally, um, you have oil producers, part of the OPEC plus alliance, um, who, that have been managing uh, supply and demand, trying to keep the oil price stable. So what would it mean for the markets, for producers uh, globally, uh, should Iranian oil come back onto the market soon? Uh, now, in the National uh, this week, uh, our regular columnist in the business pages, Robin Mills, has written about this very subject. Let's talk to Robin now. So, Robin, uh, thanks for being with us. We're discussing the future of Iran's oil industry, given the interesting inflection point we have, whereby there are presidential elections in about 10 days' time, as well as a very sensitive moment in the negotiations over a potential new nuclear deal between Iran, the US, and international powers. But you you wrote for The National uh, this week, um, your regular column, that uh, it's not quite as straightforward for growing Iran's uh, oil industry that the politics falls into place. There's a lot of sort of business stuff behind it, technical aspects that are holding back Iran's oil industry. Yes, that's uh, that's true, uh, Mustafa. And the... um you know, we often hear a lot of commentary regarding Iran's oil industry and, and politics and, and how that plays into relations with, with the US and so on, of course. And, and that, that's all very important. Um, but I think there are also, you know, as you say, technical factors and strategic factors of the, the Iranian oil industry that, that are important, too. Um, so I, I try to explore a few of those in my piece. And, you know, some of the key factors I see is, you know, firstly, we've got a global context, which is a, a, a somewhat recovering oil market. But which is still fragile, and there's still big uncertainties over demand. Uh, there are still you know, flare-ups of of, uh, of COVID in, in various countries, which which hit their oil demand. And um, you know, OPEC, uh, the OPEC Plus group, at, at uh, the the uh, height of the pandemic, it had made production cuts of 9.7 million barrels per day. Iran wasn't part of those cuts; it was effectively exempt because it was, of course, under uh, and still is under very strict U.S. sanctions. Um, but those OPEC plus cuts are now that they've reduced, but they're still 5.8 million barrels per day. So those cuts are still very, very substantial. And uh, it is still a long road for OPEC plus to go to, to restore its production. So what happens to that when and if Iran uh, concludes a deal with the US and, and Iran's oil exports uh, return fully to the market? Um, then there's the question of how, how quickly Iranian oil would come back. 
there's quite a lot of Iranian oil in storage, uh, on land storage and, and floating at sea. Um, that could come back on the market, could be sold, um, but a lot of it is, uh, is condensate, effectively a light, a light oil, which is uh, quite specialist, quite hard to market. Um, and then how quickly will Iran's fields come back to full operations? I think we've seen from previous episodes of the, when the nuclear deal was uh, with the US previously came into operation in early 2016 that Iran was actually able to bring back its fields to full production quite quickly. Uh, and since then, there's been, it's been developing a number of, of new fields um, so that there is, a, there is kind of pent up uh, production capacity there. Um, but it will take a few, a few months to, to bring that back on. And then Iran has to reestablish all of its relationships with its, its buyers. So, you know, Iran has, of course, been reaching out to European buyers, um, to, to Indian buyers, um, in anticipation that sanctions will, will be lifted. Um, the Japanese at the moment seem to be more cautious. China effectively has been Iran's only uh, paying customer for, uh, for a couple of years now. Um, and uh, so China, China pre presumably will continue to be that customer and maybe buy more as well. But Iran has to reestablish all of these marketing relationships, banking relationships, shipping, um, insurance, all of the things that were targeted by the, by the US sanctions. And, and it'll be a, a complex process to, to unravel all of those, you know, even assuming that there, there is a deal. Uh, reached uh, at these talks in the in the relatively near future. If we take a step back and we look at the OPEC Plus alliance, led largely by Saudi Arabia and and Russia, the biggest producers, they they seem to be managing the supply demand dynamics quite well. Um, oil prices are around seventy dollars a barrel at the moment, um, and it looks like um, you know the excess supply that led to you know. A, a, a you know huge drop in prices during the pandemic that's largely being uh, hoovered up or or, or or used and and so the, the, the it's unlikely we're going to experience another shock should um sanctions be lifted on Iran and a deal happen and then the Iranians are free to start selling uh, more of their oil again onto the market it's unlikely we're going to see that the 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 dynamics of market of the markets change that much um in in the short to medium term is is that really what the the prognosis is that's how things look at the moment yeah so you know oil prices are around 70 dollars as you say that's that's pretty robust uh, i think most major oil producers should be happy with that um the excess stocks that were built up during the pandemic have, have been drawn down you know, almost to uh let's say, normal levels. And the market forecasts very much depend on what OPEC Plus does over the rest of the year. But uh, most forecasts are looking at a, a deficit in the market of a, about, about 2 million barrels per day, uh, which, which is quite substantial. Now, if Iran comes back fully, it would add a million, million and a half, perhaps a little bit more barrels per day um, over the course of the, of the rest of the year. So um, even Iran coming back wouldn't completely fill that deficit. So, so the market should be able to, to absorb it. Of course, that means that the other OPEC plus uh, members would have to restrain, continue to restrain their own production. And, uh, you know, some of these, I mean, R Russia, for example, has always been pushing against the deal and always been keen to, to be able to uh, escape its constraints and boost its production. Um, it's partly a negotiating tactic, but, uh, you know, it also kind of represents Russian views. Iraq uh, has been very keen to increase its output and the UAE as, as well. Um, and uh, so the, 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 there's several countries that would want to increase their output and, and uh, would feel a bit uncomfortable about having to, to concede some of that to, to allow uh, Iran to be, to be fully accommodated. 
And Iran, for its part, will, will not agree to any OPEC plus limits, um, not for a substantial period of time, because Iran will say we've effectively been out of the market for a, uh, for, for a couple of years now um, and, and really in the same position as, as Libya. And Libya has argued this successfully, too, that uh, they uh, they've been out of the market and so they shouldn't be. Uh, subject to any kind of curbs until they've had a, a chance not just to, re- to fully restore their production, but also to have a uh, have a period of time at maximum production. I mean, the OPEC Plus Alliance has shown remarkable flexibility up to, up to now, and, and for several years, been able to to lead oil markets um, regardless of of the various um, tricky aspects of diplomacy and, and politics that are going on between between the members of that alliance. I mean, do you, do you see that Iran? oil coming back online would represent uh, perhaps an obstacle that, that, that is insurmountable for the alliance to continue, or, or will they be able to adapt to that as well? It's another complication, but but I don't think that it's uh, it's it's fatal to the alliance, no. no. I think, as you said, the alliance has been very, very flexible. And I think the, the power of the alliance, having Saudi Arabia lined up with Iran, uh, right up with Russia, sorry, Russia is a Obviously, a big and powerful country, not just an oil producer, but but a, but a great power in its own right. Um, that uh, has certainly helped keep other countries in line, and so compliance to the OPEC Plus deal has been much better than really any other past OPEC agreement. Um, the uh, you know compliance has been uh, on average over 100. percent That's partly helped by Saudi Arabia making making extra cuts, but still compliance has, has been very high, um, and that's that's quite impressive. And the the group has also been quite flexible in, in recent. Uh, months by agreeing to meet monthly and and to adjust their production on a monthly basis. Um, That too, I think, is sensible because there's so much uncertainty at the moment uh, in the market going forward. Uh, You know, we talked about obviously the the recovery of of demand from the the pandemic. Um, That's a particular factor in the effects on the global market and so on as well. Um, But then the various political things that can affect that. Libyan production is very volatile up and down with security challenges. Um, And now, of course, the uh, potential the potential return of Iran as well. Um, so I think it's something that can be accommodated within this framework. It's just just one more factor for the group to think about. Uh, the, the bigger sort of uh, topic of, of discussion for, for you know, oil producers of late in particular has been about the, the energy transition, about the, the shift away from hydrocarbons, reliance on hydrocarbons towards you know, cleaner energy sources, you know, higher tech, um, options, nuclear as well. I mean, Iran Iran seems quite a funny situation whereby they're almost stuck in a time warp um, where, where they're, they're, they'll be trying to get just their oil industry back online and efficient and up-to-date and safe and 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 producing as much as possible, and and I, I and I guess not even thinking about the energy transition question, which which means that you know where where does Iran um, as once was, you know, a, a really major producer in the region. Where does that leave them in in the medium to long term if they're so far behind the curve? Well, it's it's very problematic, you know, and I, and I see a division in, in between the oil producers. You've got some which uh, which are their oil industries are running effectively, are well organised, and they're able. They have the luxury of some time and space to think about the transition and to start to to develop strategies and, and projects to deal with it. You know, if you think about the UAE or, or Saudi Arabia um, in, in, that, uh, in that bucket. Um, and then you've got other countries that are really struggling with, with very significant political problems of various kinds. And 
and and which are just about able to you know barely able to keep their oil industries running, let alone to think about any of any of the the, uh, the challenges that are coming up. And you you can put Iran in that category along with Venezuela, Libya, and and Iraq. Um, so you know Iran Iran's oil and gas industry. It's it's a very large industry, of course. You know, Iran is the third third largest producer of gas in the world, uh, and the holder of the uh, probably the second largest gas reserves, um, and and still, despite the sanctions, still an important oil producer as well. Um, but its oil industry, you know, particularly over the last uh, uh, twenty years or so, has never really uh, fully realised its potential because of the repeated political problems and uh, and sanctions and barriers to, to investment, and uh, you know, because of that, Iran has, has repeatedly missed opportunities to, to elevate its position. Um, and uh, thinking about the uh, an energy transition possibly to a world of lower oil demand, uh, at some point possibly to a world of lower gas gas demand as well, um, that, that's enormously challenging. Now, I, I think you know, part of the response to that is to say, well, accelerate production, pro- try to produce more oil today while there is still a market for it, squeeze out the, 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 the higher cost producers from, from other regions. Um, and, and you can see some countries taking that that road. And uh, you know, Iran, if Iran is able to have the sanctions lifted, is able to get some investment into its oil industry, it could partially pursue that. Right. So we've seen the the outgoing oil minister, uh, very long-serving minister Zanganer, saying that uh, Iran's production could and should reach 6.5 million barrels per day. Um, that would be be higher than than it ever it's, it's ever been. It was at one point. It was at 5.7 million barrels per day under the Shah in the 70s, but it's never returned to those levels. Um, I think most estimates of, it, of its capacity when, when and if sanctions are lifted would be around 3.8 or 4 million barrels per day. So adding another two and a half is, would be a huge, a huge effort and would really demand a lot of not just domestic investment, but a lot of international investment. Uh, and we've got to say the investment environment in, in Iran um, has not been uh, very friendly for, for several years. Yes, and 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 that environment has to has to kind of ch- flip, you know, a one eighty degrees and almost overnight. I mean, the when when the new president is is elected, um, that president will be in office from August, um, and will be keen to have an impact on the economy. I and mean, the the Iranian presidential election debates have been focused on the handling of the economy under the under the sanctions. Um, it's been a tough time for Iranians these last few years. Um, and whoever comes in next, whether it's um, you know Ibrahim Raisi, who seems to be the front runner, who's quite conservative, you know, considered a very conservative candidate, um, you know, l- less so than than the outgoing um, Rouhani, um, we're l- less open, let's say, to 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 dealing with the West than than the outgoing Rouhani. Then you kind of have this tension where. Um, you have a new president keen to show that they are better at handling the economy. Their their, their administration is better at handling the economy, but then potentially being, um, you know, more uh, re- reactionary than than the last. Um, and in an environment where the U.S. has been making the case um, for re-establishing uh, the nuclear deal because it's more likely to delay Iran getting its hands on nuclear weapons rather than having no deal that lets them be free to act. And and so coming with that new deal will be the the lifting of sanctions, but then you you kind of have this where the theory meets the reality, and 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 I wonder what the investment environment. To come back to that point about the investment environment, how how confident international oil companies are going to be going into that environment 
when 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 there seems to be so much uncertainty even if we do get a deal even if the new president is 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 keen to get that investment in i'm not sure they'll be they'll be they'll be running into iran like they might have been a few years ago yes and look the domestic politics of iran in general and specifically on this issue, issue are, are extremely complicated of course and are not really uh, you know fully visible to to outsiders um but i i think you know a couple of uh, issues on that you know one is the role of the the revolutionary guards who have a very important engineering arm which um and other subsidiaries which have done a lot of work in the iranian oil industry um and um uh, and during the period of sanctions when foreign investment has, has been minimal they've been important for uh, for developing projects um there were recent awards of of several contracts for the development of domestic fields to to various uh, let's say quasi state companies um including being one that's controlled by by the supreme leader uh, Ali Khamenei um so there's a lot of vested interests there in, in the Iranian oil industry uh, and these companies have you know built experience and so on um but they they don't have access to a lot of finance they have uh they they they've developed their own domestic technology but they don't have ready access to um to international technology so you know although their achievements in a way uh, in some ways are impressive they they're still very limited in what they can do in terms of these very big ambitions that uh, that we were just talking about um so you know that means that foreign investment is crucial but again you have these domestic players who who have carved out a nice little uh, role for themselves and some of them are are also you know ideologically opposed to uh, to to international particularly western investment um and some of them are um on various sanctions lists and and are, you know have problematic links that would make them difficult or impossible partners for uh, for international companies particularly uh, again particularly western ones um so um they have an environment there which is which is quite unfriendly to to international investment and uh, you know and i think the the rahani administration in, in the in the brief window that they had when the jcpoa w- was active um they they still found it very hard to attract international investment uh, partly because these vested interests um partly because they were kind of coming from a standing start and they had not uh had the experience uh, and the, and the practice of negotiating these kind of agreements with international firms for for several years um there was there was a lot of activity in the early 2000s but since then really a long hiatus with 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 very few major projects and and the projects that there were were, were almost exclusively with chinese companies um and uh, uh and these factors together they ended up proposing a pretty unattractive contract and a complicated one um there were negotiations total along with the China National Petroleum Corporation signed probably the most significant deal for development of liquefied natural gas exports uh, from the South Pass field but uh that 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 deal ran foul of sanctions and all the other deals were in very preliminary stages when uh, when Donald Trump reimposed uh, sanctions and withdrew from the JCPOA and then made further investments impossible so uh, that that's where I kind of point to that window opportunity it was it was quite a brief window but but it was missed and uh you know given the volatile politics the next administration whoever leads it uh will will again face that kind of challenge of you know that they they do need foreign investment um but uh, but how can they how can they attract it uh and how can they manage all the all the domestic politics um and and you know, there is a bit of a division in 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 Iranian politics between looking to to Europe and 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 uh, being keener on European technology and companies and then a kind of look east policy which which would uh, favor china and russia more um but uh, uh but china and russia have also uh, uh only stepped up very very partially to support the support the uh, 
the Iranian uh, system during the um, uh, during this phase of sanctions. So there's also some thoughts that the Chinese are perhaps not uh, not as fully reliable partner either. Um, so it is a it is a complicated story. And meanwhile, as you say, the international landscape has changed with all the, the growing pressure on on oil and gas investments. Um, and uh, and so oil companies, as you say, are probably less less willing to rush into Iran than they would have been. I think you will see interest because Iran is clearly such a big prize that, that it can't be ignored. Um, but uh, but these these factors of, of unattractive investment conditions and, and the, the complex politics and vested interests in Iran will will definitely temper that enthusiasm. Um, and, and we'll have to be realistic that the, you know the pace of, of signing and implementing real deals on investments, you know, if any, is going to be quite slow. Robin Mills, Chief Executive of Kamar Energy, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. And you can read Robin's column uh, at thenationalnews.com. Thank you all for listening. All that remains to thank our production team, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan. Please join us again next time.